Jesus. Who's Jesus? Who's Jesus? Uh, what do I do with my hands? <laughs> as far as I know, the Bible doesn't uh, say to worship Jesus. You're supposed to worship God. Oh, well, that's an easy right. question to us now. Uh, Jesus is a man who lived many years ago. He was an amazing person. I know that much. Nothing. There is no Jesus. There is no God. There is nothing. So. Um, he's a prophet of God. Son of God, you know, Alpha and Omega. Right. You know, Beginning and the end. First and the last. Creator. Uh, son of God? So again, it's a personal question, so I think, you know, it's something for each person to define. You know, I died on the cross for my sins. Um, what, what else do you want to know? It's about sums it up. I don't know. That's the that's question, that's my answer. No right or wrong answer. Leave it at that. <laughs> you know, um, it's been a lot of fun going with the crew on Mondays and heading down to Heart Plaza and doing those um, man on the street videos. And the one thing that really strikes me is people want to have spiritual conversations, um, especially if it's just safe. And as we always start with, hey, it doesn't matter. We're not looking for a particular answer. We just want you to share whatever's on your mind. Um, and that's the power of Alpha, that safe place where people can just ask questions. And um, it's just, it's a really cool thing. So I just encourage you, <coughs> have the spiritual conversations. Excuse me. <coughs> Sorry about that. So Alpha is underway. Are you excited? We started last week. I want to give you a little bit of an update. I mean, we talked about this literally for months leading up to it. We set some goals, and I kind of want to tell you where we are. Um, we have alpha groups in over 20 homes. I know I should know how many, but I keep getting a different number. I know that it's always more than 20 and less than 25, um, but we're in 20 different homes. Represents um, over 200 people in the homes. Uh, we have it here at Grace on Sundays at 1 o'clock. We have it on Tuesday mornings. We have it on Tuesday nights, and that represents about 220 people. Uh, we have it at Fishbones, at Tim Hortons, at the War Memorial on Monday nights. We have it at Cafe Con Leche downtown, um, just across from the Fisher Building on West Grand Boulevard. Um, so that's another uh, 20 people there. Um, and then I love this. On Wednesday night, we're doing it with the youth, and there were over 120 youth that showed up for it, which is amazing. I think... Uh, Probably the most used we've had at, at anything in a long time. It's just really, I went down there on Wednesday night just to uh, uh, visit, and it was the highlight of my week uh, just, to, just to be in there. The room was electric. The kids were excited. Um, so if you're part of the youth and, and you haven't jumped in, you should because they're doing some cool things. So I don't know if you were adding in your head as I was uh, throwing out all those numbers, but that's about 640 participants in Alpha. So, Yeah. So a couple of things that come out of that. It's been a crazy uh, few months leading up to it. To You can imagine the logistics of pulling that off. So um, I just want to stop and say thank you uh, to the staff. Uh, I have the easiest job. I just get to talk about it. And then they have to go actually do it. And they've been scurrying, working hard to get everything done. So let's thank the staff because we have a great team here at Grace. 
Also, if you've not plugged into a group yet, um, you still can. If you just go right up the steps, right to your right, there's a kiosk there, a, a desk. Um, you can talk to them about all the different venues I talked about. There's room in all of them uh, to still show up. So you, if, you, if you haven't signed up for Alpha, um, you're going to miss something that everybody else is doing, so you want to get in. If you still have a friend you want to invite, it's not too late. Invite your friend. Let's push the number way over 700 uh, and just get plugged in. We said last week that Fishbones was full, but we'll make more room. So if you want to come to Fishbones Monday night, um, we'd love to have you. We would like you to stop and let us know you're coming, though, at the information counter. Um, I want to read an email that I got this week about Alpha, the first week of Alpha, and I want to encourage you um, I want to read more and more emails from you uh, at the beginning of the service just because I've gotten so much feedback from you as we went through the, uh, the last series, just reading those that you can relate to them. So email me, Facebook, text, whatever works for you, uh, your own stories about Alpha. But this comes from uh, one of the guys participating. He says, Dear Alpha team, wow, we had an amazing Alpha first night. Uh, the first participant in the icebreaker, remember the icebreaker, assuming God exists, what would be the one question you would have for him? This person said, well, I don't believe in a higher power, followed by his wife saying she didn't either, saying that she was an evolutionist, didn't understand why God wouldn't provide us with concrete scientific evidence of his existence. Uh, what a start. Our other full neighbors came to our home, were genuine seekers, and they'd been exposed to the church and later turned off. I kept waiting for the two atheist neighbors to bolt during Nikki's talk, but they didn't. Due to the prayers of many of you and Nikki's atheist background um, story, I'm sure. They did find fault with this presentation. I was so tempted to argue, but again, through your prayers, I was able to keep my mouth shut, smile, and say, thank you for sharing. <laughs> Practice that if you're part of Alpha. Well, thank you for sharing. By way of background, I personally invited 14 neighbors on my block uh, of whom we have a relationship, resulting in six attendees. Uh, we've been led two weeks ago to change the venue from meeting here at the church to in our home to lower the barriers, electing to serve at our homemade dessert and wine, which by the way, I think is a great idea, which worked so well, I was having trouble getting them to transition to Alpha. The group really bonded well and elected to hang out way beyond the closing time, with the atheist wife asking us to repeat again when the next gathering is as they left our home. Amazing. Yeah, that's worth clapping for. He goes on to write, thank you for all your hard work. We're seeing the fruit. And I would just say, these are exciting times at Grace, and I hope that you are getting to play a part in what God is doing, because it's, it's a lot of fun. I got one other reminder. Um, there is uh, just a, a, a mountain of stuff going on at Grace. There always is. Really, the only way to keep up with all the things going on at Grace is either to read the bulletin or to go onto gracewire.com and just check it out. I would encourage you, whenever you go to the bulletin, just to ask the Lord, what do you want me to participate in? Where should I get plugged in? What do you have for me? And then just let the Spirit kind of prompt. No one can do all the things that we put out there, but you should definitely be doing some of them. Um, and I want to highlight just one thing that's happening today. Immediately following the service in the chapel, which is right through that wall, you can go through the doors, but around that, on the other side of that wall is the chapel. Uh, we are having a baptism orientation, and here's the deal. If you've said yes to Jesus and you've not been baptized, then the next obedient step for you is to be baptized. It is a, a thing that we do out of obedience. It's a sacrament that we participate in. So if you haven't been baptized and you want to be, you just go to the chapel. We'll have a conversation with you. It's an orientation, not really a class, and uh, you can... Uh, uh, find out everything you need to know. I had a meeting with some young boys uh, two weeks ago after the service. Both of them said, uh, I want to be baptized. What do I need to do? This is the best and easiest way to get plugged in uh, to that process and to get baptized. Okay? 
So we are in week two of a series we're calling Foundation. And the idea of this series is we're asking the question, what's holding you up? What is the foundation that you're standing on? What is your worldview? What is your, your view of the character of God? And when you think about foundation, think about the foundation of a building. How most often when you think about a foundation, it's below the ground, right? If you can see any of the foundation, it's usually just a small part of it. Yet the foundation is, is critical for everything else to stay standing. This series is really about what's underneath, what's deep inside of us, what's under the surface that's holding your life up. Your foundation, it determines your behaviors, it determines your responses, good or bad. So it's really worth taking the time and and pondering the question over the course of these seven weeks, what's holding you up? The other part of a foundation is it's what allows the building process to move forward. A faulty foundation will bring any kind of building process to an abrupt halt. So what's your foundation? What's holding you up? If you were here last week, we talked about the question, is there more to life than just this? And one of the statements that I made is that the deepest longing for every human is to be fully known and deeply loved. And that this is only made possible through the person of Jesus, who knows you, who knows everything about you, who knows the good and the bad, yet sacrificed his very life to show you the love of the Father, this deeper knowing of God. In Jesus, we have the opportunity to be fully known and deeply loved, which is really what our heart's cry is. Jesus said he's the way, right? He's the means by which we get to God, where we find out our our deepest longings are met. He's the life. In him we find fullness of joy, and he's the truth. Jesus isn't searching for the truth, nor is Jesus pointing to the truth, but truth is a person, and it's the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the truth. When you know Jesus, you know the truth, and it's the truth that sets us free. So the first week we ask, is there more to life than this? And this week we're asking the question, well, who is Jesus? Who was he? If you saw in the man in the street video, we saw one of the, the, the Muslim women. So, well, he was a prophet of God. Was he just a prophet of God? And then you saw the guy who was sort of, he might've been the angriest person we talked to, but he was like, he's nothing. He's nobody. He's not even a name. He's nothing. He doesn't exist. There is no God. That was his response. Was he just a great teacher? Is he some mythological hero that we just made up? I had a few, chance a few years ago to speak at an ecumenical prayer breakfast. I don't know if ecumenical just means it was a, a, group of, a whole group of churches from different denominations, different um, uh, even belief systems, and they come together for this breakfast as a kind of a show of unity. But I was the speaker, and I spoke on the, the fact that Jesus' life serves as an example for all of us of how we're to live towards other people, how we're to live sacrificially, how we're to, to serve other people. And so I built this whole thesis around that statement, and I spoke and when it was all over with I had one of the pastors of a local Christian church and I did that on purpose who came up to me and and he said you know Doug there's no historical evidence for an actual Jesus and to be honest with you I think I had the same response as many of you I was a bit shocked and I remember I didn't even respond to him um, not because I was using the alpha method but because I was so stunned and I was actually deeply sad here's a, a shepherd of a of a church a pastor who doesn't believe that Jesus actually ever was. But the truth of the matter is, there is a mountain of historical evidence 
that points toward Jesus. And as a matter of fact, no credible historian would argue the existence of a historical Jesus. I found it fascinating that Meg and I and the kids spent the, a good part of the summer in Israel that no one in Israel questions the historical Jesus. The Muslims believe in Jesus. The Jews believe in Jesus. The non-religious folks believe in Jesus. The historical Jesus, of course, the Christians all believe in it because there's so much evidence there to point towards this person of Jesus. While I was there in, in studying, I, I met a guy, his, his name was uh, Rabbi Moshe. He was a professor of, of history and archaeology. And, and what's interesting is he's a, a rabbi, so he, he doesn't believe in Jesus as the Messiah, but he's fascinated by the Gospels. And he said to me, he said, the Gospels are the best historical documents we have to understand first century Judaism. So he reads the Gospels, he studies the Gospels as a historical book. The truth is, we don't have to exercise a lot of faith to believe in the historical Jesus. It doesn't take a, a, a mountain of faith to believe that there was a man that lived a little over 2,000 years ago that walked the region of Israel that taught. So the question isn't, was there really a historical Jesus? There's something deeper we have to dig for. When we ask the question, who is Jesus, we're asking a much deeper question than just history. And rather than me tell you who Jesus is, what I decided I wanted to do was I wanted to let the words of Jesus tell you who Jesus said that he was. Now keep in mind, when Jesus spoke of himself, he said some pretty outrageous, audacious, bold, almost crazy sort of things. As a matter of fact, if Jesus isn't God, the things that he said makes him really a pompous, arrogant person. No, really, because if you listen to the things that Jesus says, that for somebody to claim that and not have the, the, the credentials would be crazy. So Jesus said things like, me and the Father, me and God, we're one. We're the same person. He said, hey, you can't even get to God unless you go through me. They're pretty arrogant words, right? He said, if you see me, you see God. These are Jesus' words. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And he even said, I existed before Abraham existed. The claims of Jesus set him apart from any other teacher because Jesus said of himself, I am God. C.S. Lewis wrote a book that's really one of the more famous books on Christianity. It's called Mere Christianity. And he kind of goes off of this same motif and talks about the fact that the things that Jesus said, himself, said about himself separate him. He's either crazy, is what C.S. Lewis is saying, or he is actually God. There's no in-between. So let me just read this one paragraph from Mere Christianity. C.S. Lewis says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying a really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. They say, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up as a fool. You can spit at him. You can kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. 
He has not left that open to us, nor did he intend to. With our time remaining, what I want to do is I want to look at some of the bold claims of Jesus. What did Jesus say of himself? What did he, what did he claim, and how does that claim affect you and I? So grab your Bibles, turn to John chapter 6. And here's the deal. I'm going to talk about the I am statements in John. Not all of them. I don't have time to do all of them. But I'm going to talk about four different I am statements. So we're going to be in chapter 6, and we're going to be in chapter 8, and we're going to be in chapter 10, and we're going to be in chapter 15. So what I want you to do is maybe put your bulletin uh, in your Bible in chapter 6, and then as I move to the next I am statements, it'll be a lot easier for you to navigate. I also want to encourage you uh, to tweet, to send out a Facebook post, whatever works for you, Instagram, uh, if God moves something in you, if you hear something, uh, send it out there. Let's tell the world that we're learning about truth at Grace Community Church this morning. Um, so feel free to send that out. We're going to unpack these I am statements. Again, I, I can't cover all of them, but we're going to start in, in chapter, uh, chapter 6. And what I want to do is kind of set the stage. But before I do that, let me just pray. Lord, I thank you so much for the word of God. I thank you for uh, that we have these gospels, these amazing um, documents that are more than just history. It's the spoken word of God that can inform us as to what did, what did Jesus actually say of himself. Thank you so much for the gospel of John and that we get to teach through part of it today. Lord, I pray the prayer that we pray every week that people would leave different than they came because they interacted with the living God. So even now as I share my thoughts and, and preach this message, I just pray that you would guide my thoughts, that you would guide my words, and that uh, seeds of truth would fall on fertile soil. In Jesus' name, amen? So before I read the, uh, the I am statement in chapter 6, let me give you just a, a little bit of context of what's going on. Just before what we're about to read, Jesus has just fed the 5,000. Lots of you know the story, but what happened was Jesus prayed over uh, a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish, right? And, and he prays this prayer, and then they hand out the food, and, and everyone in the, in the place. So there's 5,000 people, it says, and they all eat from this little one lunch that was probably designed for one small family to eat. So they, they, they put out this two smoked fish, five small loaves of bread. Everybody eats. When they're all done, they collect the leftovers, and the, the little bit of food that they had is multiplied. Everybody's full, and then they have 12 baskets of food. 12 baskets of bread and fish left over. And the people that were there were like blown away by this miracle. And they, so they wanted to see more of, of what Jesus was doing. They wanted, they wanted to have another show, if you will. When I think about what's going on and I, I read into the Gospels a little bit, to me it's sort of like they are, they're, they're enamored the same way you would be watching some great magician perform a great trick. And the best part is when the magician performs a the trick, they also get to eat a really good meal because he makes food out of his good trick. But they seemed to be more enamored by, by the trick and by the fact that they were full than they were about anything going on in the spiritual world. They want to see another show, and they want to have another good meal. So the next day, they chase Jesus down. They find him, and they start asking more questions. They're saying, hey, could you give us more of that magic bread? That was really cool. Jesus gets kind of upset, and he, he scolds them. And he says, stop thinking with your stomachs. Stop thinking about food and, and, and pay attention to what God is doing. There's something spiritual going on and you're missing all of this. And, and they don't really listen to Jesus' rebuke and they, 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 they hear it, but then they come back to Jesus and almost like challenge him. And what they say to him is, well, Moses gave us bread. Why can't you? It's almost like a, a test, right? 
Moses was a great leader. If you're great, you could make more bread too. And it's in the wake of them saying that, that Jesus says these words. Look at verse 32, chapter 6, verse 32. Jesus is speaking. He says, it's not Moses who's given you bread from heaven, but it's my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus then says in verse 35, the first of our I am statements today, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. Verse 41, he says, the same I am statement, he says, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Who did Jesus say that he was? He said, I am the bread of life. I am your provision. I am the one that gives substance to your life. I am the one that gives you everything that you need. So you got to put this all into perspective. So there's this multitude of people, well over 5,000. Most accounts would say they're just counting the men. So who knows how many people there? And they're following Jesus around the hills of Galilee, and, and they haven't eaten, and they're they're just they're walking around, and they're kind of in the the wilderness around Galilee, right? And and and. And Jesus does this great miracle and they, they get bread and it just seems to just come out of nowhere. And it would have reminded all of them of their ancestors who wandered in the desert for 40 years. And as they wandered in the desert for 40 years, God provided for them in the form of manna. It's what God gave them to keep them alive as they wandered in the wilderness. What's fascinating to me is that the manna in the desert was actually a foreshadowing of Jesus himself. The manna came to them. Think about this. The manna just showed up, right? They didn't have to work for it. It was a free gift. They didn't have to earn it. It was just sent to them. It was there in the morning, and all they had to do was receive the very gift from God. God is reminding them, I'm your provider. I'm going to give you everything you need to sustain you in your everyday life. He does this with the manna. And then he says, if you watch, eventually I'm going to send my son the bread of life and he will provide for your daily needs. God says, I'm going to send him. And all you have to do is receive his provision. You don't earn it. You don't work for it. It's a free gift. He will satisfy the hunger that's in you that goes way beyond food. Something else that's worth noting about the manna. The Israelites, they were instructed to gather it every day. Go out for six days of the week and gather the manna. And then on the the sixth day, you were allowed to take a double portion of the manna so that it would last through what they called the Sabbath or the Sabbath, as we would say. But each day they had to go out and get it. And so in the beginning, they thought, well, this is crazy. We'll just get more the first day and then we'll have it for the rest of the week. But by the next morning, the manna was rotten. It says that it actually become rotten and maggots would would infest the manna. And so there's this lesson in this. Listen, people, we cannot gorge ourselves on enough of Jesus in one day to sustain us for the rest of the week. It can't be done. And I love Sunday mornings and I love that you're here and and you need to be here and there's something goes on in the gathering. But if this is all you get of Jesus, you are not going to make it to the, the end of the week. You need more of Jesus. You need to partake of Jesus in a daily way. He is the manna from heaven. He is the bread of life. And you need Jesus every day in your life. I think it's fascinating to me that they were, they were called to collect the manna six days a week and rest on one day a week, and we just have turned the whole thing on, our, on its head, and we try to get all of our manna one day a week and then take off the rest of the week, and we are starving 
for more spiritual food. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am your provision. I am the one that gives your life's substance. Turn just a couple of pages over in most of your Bibles to chapter 8. We're going to read verse 12. And again, I want to give you a little context because the context is what makes these statements come alive and mean so much. So the context of this I am statement is that every year for 1,400 years, get that, 1,400 years, year after year after year, the Jewish people would gather and they would celebrate this thing called the Feast of the Tabernacle. The Feast of the Tabernacle was a a week-long celebration where they celebrated how God provided for them for their 40 years when they were wandering in the desert. How God gave them everything they need, including manna, to to provide for them. And they would set up little tents because that's how their, their ancestors lived. And so it was called the Feast of Tents or the Feast of the Tabernacle. And it was this incredible celebration. And a part of the celebration... Every evening was this this massive ceremony of what they called the the lamp lighting ceremony. This is a picture of uh, a menorah that's actually in Jerusalem. Um, And this menorah is probably, I I would say probably six feet tall, and it's covered in um, pure gold, and it's behind plexiglass for obvious reasons. Um, So this is a menorah or it's uh, candelabra, depending on what you want to call it. And you can tell they don't actually put candles in this one. Those are oil lamps in the top. And here's the interesting thing. This is built as part of a a group of Jewish people who are actually building all of the necessary uh, temple artifacts so that when the Messiah finally comes, remember they're Jews, they don't believe the Messiah has come. When the Messiah finally comes and he establishes the new temple, they're going to have all the tools they need to have celebration in the Old Testament way. So this is one of the things that they made. But I wanted you to get a picture of this, this menorah, this uh, candelabra. So this one's about five feet tall. But in Jesus' day, during the light of, lighting of these candles, the, the, there was four of these, and they would be in each corner of the, of the courtyard outside of the temple, but they would be 50 cubits tall. A cubit is about a foot and a half, so 75 feet tall, seven and a half stories Tall. So just imagine how big and amazing. It's actually said by, by people of that day, writings of that day, that when they would light the menorahs, that the light would fill every courtyard in the city of Jerusalem. That's how bright they were. So every night they would light these humongous menorahs. I'm not even sure humongous is a word, but I like it. So they would light these huge menorahs, right? And, and so the light is shining, and that's where Jesus is standing. He's in the courtyard. He's right underneath of these huge menorahs. And look at verse 12. He says these words. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Fascinating. Just like the bread in the desert was a foreshadowing of Jesus himself, so too was the pillar of fire. You remember the pillar of fire that they followed at night? The light was given to them so that they would have something to follow. It was also given to them so that they would know they have someone, a God, that they could trust in. The psalmist in 119 writes, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The Gospel of John opens with these amazing words. It says, In the beginning was the word. And the word was God, and the word was with God. In the beginning was the word. The word is Jesus. Jesus, you are a lamp unto my feet, and you are a light unto my path. Jesus brings light into our darkness. He illuminates our way. He gives us direction in what we do. He brings clarity to our very existence and purpose. Jesus says, I came to bring light. 
So who does Jesus say he was? He says, I'm the bread of life. I'm your provision. He says, I'm the light of the world. I'm the one who gives you direction and purpose in your life. If you lean into me, he says, if you lean into me, if you take of the bread daily, if you follow my direction, if you, if you follow the light, I will, I will bring purpose and direction to your life. So he's the bread of life, our provision. He's the light of the world. He's our direction. And he also said in chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. We talked about uh, 10, uh, verse 10 and 11 last week, but we're going to come back to it. So chapter 10, verses 10 and 11 says this. It says, the thief comes to steal kill and destroy but i have come that you may have life and have life to the full i am the good shepherd our third i am statement i am the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep the contrast between the thief and the good shepherd is worth noting again the thief the thief is hell-bent on stealing your joy robbing you of meaning and purpose his desire his literal desire is to kill you there is evil in the world, and it is working to mess you up. And it is working to mess up your family. Evil wants to create as much disunity as he can in your community. He wants to create disunity in your workplace. He wants to create disunity in the political system. He's doing a great job there. He wants to create disunity in your home. He wants to create disunity all around you. He, the idea of the enemy is he wants to perpetuate racial, economic, gender prejudices. He wants to destroy your life. Jesus says there's a thief. But in contrast, he says, but I have come to be your shepherd. I have come that you might have life. I have come to lead you in right paths. I've come to protect you. We have this amazing ability to have fellowship, to have unity with God. And when we have fellowship and unity with God, it empowers us to have fellowship and unity with one another. God came to bring us into fellowship with him and fellowship with one another. As a matter of fact, God came to make people who were very different one. God came to make people who are different one, to break down the hostility, to make us one, black, white, rich, poor, male, female, young, and old, Jesus came to make us one. And light, you can clap for that. <clears throat> life, full life, real life is found in loving God and loving people. And that's only made possible through the power and the person of Jesus Christ who laid down his life for us. So Jesus is our protector. In him, we have victory over evil. It was a strange morning. Things seemed a, bit, a little bit amiss this morning when we got in here and we got into the back room before the service, the first service, and we all had a sense that something's going on here. And so we prayed in Jesus' name, Lord, protect the church. I don't know what's going on, but we just pray that your spirit would move. We prayed in Jesus' name that something would happen this morning, that, that evil would be pushed away. So we know that there's protection in the name of Jesus. But here's the deal. When you take your eyes off of the good shepherd, when you turn away from all that God has given you the power, through Jesus, we receive life. We're, we're saved and we have his, his daily provision and his protection. But the problem is we have this human tendency to go our own way and turn towards other things. On three different occasions this week, I was reminded of and shared a dream that I had about 20 years ago. And I haven't shared this dream 
Uh, and a long time, as a matter of fact, when I was sharing it with Meg, she, she said she wasn't sure she'd ever heard it. I'm pretty sure I told her, but it's been so long since I've shared it. But three different occasions, I shared this dream. And, and here's the deal. We are in our home, or what seems like our home. It was kind of more like a cave with our home furnishings in it. You know, dreams are dreams. You can't really control everything. But here we are, my whole family, Meg, the kids, me. I don't, I don't think uh, Jake's been born yet. So my kids are little. They're like infants, you know. And, and we're in this cave, and, and in the cave with us is a bear. And not like Winnie the Pooh kind of bear, but this was a mean, angry, vicious bear. And this bear is trying to kill my family. And he is taking swipes at my kids, and the, the kids are screaming, and Meg is screaming. It's, it's just, it was a nightmare. You know when you wake up from a nightmare, and you just, you feel like you've just been in the battle of your life. You're tired. You can feel that you've been going. I mean, it was one of those nightmares. But this bear is just, it's mauling Meg. It's mauling the kids. And I'm fighting the bear, trying to save my family. And I finally do the bear enough to get it to the front door, and I let the bear out of the cave, and I slam the door shut, and I come back, and we kind of huddle together, and there's tears, but there's, there's relief. There's there's this sense of we survived this awful thing and everybody's okay. And, and we start to feel a sense of calm. And I get up and I walk to the front door and I open the door and I let the bear back in. And I sit up in bed wide awake. I'm like, God, what was that? This is what God told me. God showed me that the bear is evil. So don't be misled. Evil wants to devour you and devour your kids. He wants to devour your family said, I'm the good shepherd and I'll protect you, Doug. But when you willfully walk away from my protection, you open the door and you let evil have access to you and access to your family. Willful sin opens the door for attack. Let me say that again. Willful sin opens the door for attack. So parents, you can pray prayers of protection. You can pray all day long that God would provide and protect your kids. But when you turn to things like pornography or inappropriate relationships or any other destructive behaviors, you are opening the door for the bear. We let evil into our homes. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I will protect you. But when we squeeze our way under the fence and head for what we think are greener pastures, we set ourselves up to be devoured by an angry bear. Who did Jesus say he was? He said, I'm the bread of life. I'm the one that's going to provide. I'm the one that's going to give you substance. I'm going to give you meaning to your life. He says, I'm the light of the world. I'm going to give you direction. You're going to know what your very purpose is. I'm the good shepherd. I'm going to protect you so much so that I'm going to lay down my life for you. There's power in my name. I'm the good shepherd. And the last I am statement I want to talk about because I think it brings them all together is in chapter 15. So turn to chapter 15. Jesus is having this intimate conversation with his disciples. He's about to go to the cross. And he's kind of giving them their final instructions, their final marching orders, if you will. So in verse 15, or in uh, chapter 15, verse 1, he says, I am the true vine. Then in verse 5, he repeats the I am statement again, something he does in almost all of them. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me... He can do nothing. Another one of those bold claims of Jesus, right? If he's not God, he's crazy. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is saying, look, the only way to be fruitful is to remain in me. But what is fruit? I mean, honestly, what, what does it mean to be fruitful? I think the problem is, is that this is a religious word. 
When there's a word that we use in the church a lot, we really stop thinking about what it means. We just throw it out there like, oh, well, we're going to be fruitful. Like, what does that mean? So I thought more about this one word than anything else as I was preparing this week. And the more I thought about it, the more uh, the nuances of fruit just started to come to mind in, in all the different ways. The truth is we could preach an entire series just called Fruit. And we could unpack all of the different things that, that represent fruit in our lives. But what does it mean to be fruitful? I want to highlight just some of the, the fruit that Jesus is talking about. Remember what Jesus is saying, right? He's saying, I'm the vine. If you remain in me, if you partake of the bread daily, right? If you, if you follow the light that I provide for you, right? If you allow me to be your good shepherd, if you remain in me, then you're going to bear fruit. And one of the fruits, listen to this, Psalm 1, Jeremiah 17 says that if you remain in me, if you follow me, I will make all that you do prosperous. I will make your very work prosperous. The ability to, to bring about good things from the work of our hands is a, is a gift from God. It's a fruit of remaining in God. If we remain in Jesus, if we partake of Jesus daily, you know what he says? He says, I will change your disposition. I will change the way you respond to the world. You will actually have a better attitude. So our attitude is a, a fruit of abiding in Christ. So what does Galatians tell us? Is the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. And I might have missed one in there. <laughs> Everybody's trying to close everything. Anyway, fruit of the Spirit. Those are all, those are all elements of how we, how we respond to people in life. I was talking to a friend of mine about this very thing, and she said that, well, that whenever she, she takes her eyes off of Christ, just for a day or so, she becomes irritable at home. It's an indicator that she's no longer bearing the fruit of, of the Spirit, and she becomes grouchy, unpleasant at home. Jesus says, I'm the vine. If you remain in me, your prayers will be more effective. Huh. How many of you would like your prayers to have more power? How many of you would like to see more answered prayer in your life? And Jesus is saying, look, abide in me. Take what, what I have for you daily. Take me in. Enjoy my company every day, and your prayers will be more powerful. Remain in me, and you will see more of your friends come to Christ. How many of you would like to see more friends following Jesus? Amen. He says, remain in me. I love this. It says, remain in me and I will give you the fruit of praise. When we sing and you have this like, you just can't wait to, to sing back to God. That's because God has given you something. You want to give it back to God as a gift. That's a fruit of remaining in Jesus. So you see fruit. It's, it's got the ability to just give us this abundant life, right? It's this life-changing thing. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I'm your provision. I'm the light of the world. I'm going to give you direction. I'm the good shepherd. I'm going to protect you. And in me, you will bear fruit, not just fruit, but good fruit and fruit that will last. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life, not just any life, but abundant life, full life. The question we started with is, who is Jesus? He is God's son. And he sacrificed his life so that you could have life. I said it last week, but I'll say it again. I think there's two people in the room. I think there are people in the room who just need to make a decision to follow Christ, and that decision could be for the first time. And it's pretty simple. It's as simple as just praying, Jesus, I believe. You really are the Son of God. You really did die for me, and I need you in my life. 
I give my life to you today because I know you gave your life for me. That prayer changes everything. That prayer ushers you into the presence of God on a daily basis. There's others of you in this room. You made a choice a long time ago to walk with God, but somewhere along the way you opened the door and you let the bear wreak havoc in your life. And you are paying the consequences for that. Today is the day for you to recommit. You just say, God, I know I've made a mistake. I know I walked away from what you want from me. I know I'm not doing the very things that you've called me to do. But today I give my life back to you. I recommit my life to following you with all that I have and all that I am. I'm gonna ask the prayer team to come down now and just be down here in front and I'm gonna close this in prayer. But I wanna encourage you. If you prayed any of those prayers, if you still feel the sense that you wanna pray those prayers, come down when the service is over with. Let us pray with you. Lord, I thank you so much. I thank you for the truth of your word. I love the word of God. I love the scriptures. I love the more that we dig into the scriptures, the more alive they become. Lord, I pray today for the people sitting in the seats that are those who just need to say yes to you. I need you in my life and I wanna walk with you. And I pray that they would be bold enough to pray that prayer, that they would know that you are with them and that they would come down and let us pray with them and have that conversation. Others in the room, just know they've gotten off track. The bear is wreaking havoc. Lord, I pray that you would give them the courage to give control back over to you, to walk faithfully with you. And I thank you for how your spirit moves. Thank you for your son, Jesus. It's in his powerful name we pray. Amen. Be blessed. You have a great Sunday. If you want prayer, we'd love for you to come down and pray with us.